0: What if you were asked to defend the resurrection of Jesus? Let's imagine that a good friend wants to meet you over coffee, and she asks you to bring the best evidence you have that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. How would you prepare for this meeting? Would you gather all the written testimony you could find from the best evidence? historical texts? Would you make a philosophical case for the existence of God, a God who has power over nature and death? Would you try to find scientific evidence for the possibility of resurrection? Or would you use some other method uh, to convince her that Jesus is, in fact, alive? When Saint Athanasius A third century bishop and theologian, one of the most important theologians in the entire history of the church, wanted to defend the bodily resurrection of Christ, he did none of those things. He didn't turn to historical records, although we have those, uh, philosophy or scientific investigation, those are fine and good, but he didn't turn to those to make his case. Instead, he pointed to the witness of the martyrs. What proof do we have that death has been conquered in Christ's resurrection? Well, in his classic text on the incarnation, Athanasius said, look to the Roman arena. I'm gonna quote him briefly. Now that the savior has raised his body, death is no longer terrible. For all who believe in Christ tread death under as not and choose rather to die than to deny their faith in Christ. For they verily know that when they die, they are not destroyed, but actually live and become incorruptible through the resurrection. Then he goes on later, he says, before men believe in Christ, they see in death an object of terror and play the coward before him. But when they are gone over to Christ's faith and teaching, their contempt for death is so great that they even eagerly rush upon it and become witnesses for the resurrection. We have numerous accounts of martyrdom in the history of the church. One of the most moving, in my opinion, comes from Eusebius's church history. Saint Blandina was a young woman martyred in the second century amidst gladiatorial games in Lyon, France. What was done to Blandina was grotesque, and I I won't share that with you. But through it all, she refused to renounce Christ, Eventually, Eusebius says, she was fastened on something like a cross, and wild beasts were let loose on her. Her fellow martyrs were awed and inspired by her witness, Eusebius says, for in the combat they saw by means of their sister with their bodily eyes him who was crucified for them. In other words, when they looked upon Blandina's bodily witness and her virtuous character, They saw Christ himself through her. Athanasius points to this and other stories as proof that Jesus is alive. How else do you explain the fact that a cowardly band of working-class Galilean Jews became fearless preachers willing to die rather than deny that their Lord is alive? How else do you explain Blandina and Perpetua and Felicity and so many others willing to suffer torturous death? rather than deny Christ. Athanasius says, the best explanation is that what they said happened really did happen. Their beloved rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and buried, actually rose from the dead. Through him death has died, and everything has changed. The trouble is, for many of us today, it doesn't always feel like everything has changed, right? We don't have many martyrs in the 21st century United States. And looking at the world around us, we often see more evidence of this present evil age, ruled by wicked powers and principalities than the abundant resurrected life of new creation. Many of us are facing exhaustion and isolation after a year and a half of pandemic living. Can I get a witness? We're anxious. Many of us are uncertain about the future. And let's just take our pick of reasons why, right? New virus variants. Millions of people still refusing to be vaccinated. We're disillusioned and frustrated in the face of an unfinished national reckoning on racism increasing white nationalist entrenchment, incessantly multiplying conspiracy theories, I can't even keep track anymore, a deeply contentious national election that we're still not recovered from, an attempted insurrection at the Capitol back in January, and countless public leaders who seem in the end, despite their best intentions, perhaps completely incapable of doing anything about it. And if we're honest, And we need to be honest in the house of God. If we're honest, it's not just the world that's brought us low and made us doubt. Too often, the church has seemed impotent in the face of these challenges, too. The words of Dr. King from 1963 still ring painfully true today. He said, so often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound So often is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. Some of you know, some of you don't know, that a disturbing story is emerging from survivors of sexual abuse at the hands of a lay leader named Mark Rivera, at a church plant of Church of the Resurrection, Christ Our Light. This happened two years ago, but the story is beginning to come out and has been taking place online since June 26th. So if some of you, this is news to you, it's probably because you're not on Twitter, and bless you, right? (laughs) Um, But I, I apologize if you're hearing this for the first time. This is difficult to share and to hear. Religion News Service has published a story on it as of yesterday, uh, more news outlets are sure to follow suit, but, but heres I'm going to summarize it briefly. So far, two survivors of Mark Rivera's predation have come forward to tell their stories. He's currently facing more than a dozen abuse and assault allegations. He is now out on bond awaiting tri- trial for child sexual assault, and he's under investigation for rape. The story the abuse survivors have told about what they've suffered is is bad enough. But they've also shared a detailed, documented story of clergy and other leaders at Church of the Resurrection in the Diocese of the Upper Midwest failing to respond appropriately. They claim there were attempts to cover up the abuse, failures to report to authorities, failures to provide proper pastoral care failures to provide financial assistance, and failures to do what's necessary to ensure a timely, transparent, and objective third-party investigation. As a result, the church has compounded the trauma of these survivors, forcing them to do an extraordinary amount of work, not to mention expose themselves to public scrutiny in order to push for justice. As of Thursday evening, Bishop Stuart Ruck has taken a temporary leave of absence while an investigation at the provincial level commences. I share this story with a lot of grief, and if I'm honest, not a little anger. I have no doubt that the leaders at at res did not intend for this to happen, right? No No one does. I don't question their good intentions or sincerity. But the truth is good intentions and sincerity count for nothing when women and children are being abused and proper actions are not taken to protect them and help them. Sincerity is not a substitute for competency. So why am I sharing these things tonight? So a few reasons. First, the story is rapidly gaining traction and I don't want you um, to be uninformed when it emerges locally and maybe even nationally. The second reason, though, is that many people at Savior, many of us, have connections to Rez in various ways. Some of your sisters and brothers in this room I have spent time with mourning together and and raging together and working through their their reaction to what what has been discovered and disclosed. So I want their pain to be acknowledged as well and, and, and lifted up, their burden shared. The third reason why I'm sharing it is that I don't want to sugarcoat the challenges that we're facing as a capital C church uh, in this moment. Even though these abuses did not happen in our parish, with our bishop or our diocese, their witness necessarily affects ours. And sadly, what happened there is not an isolated incident. Other stories and other dioceses are already emerging as a result of this one, and it's only been a couple weeks. Just yesterday, just yesterday, I met with survivors of another mishandled abuse case in another diocese. The Anglican Church in North America, like other ecclesial bodies before us, looks to be heading toward a national, province-wide reckoning on sexual abuse. And we need to be able to face it calmly and fearlessly and faithfully with God's help. So how do, we, how do we even begin to do that? Believe it or not, I think that Paul, in our text tonight, in 1 Corinthians 15, gives us a big part of the answer with his simple gospel message. So let me just read the portion of it again. He says, I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. These few verses give us the earliest summary we have of the gospel preached by the apostles. This is what they preached. And those who call themselves Christians have proclaimed it ever since. And what they proclaimed is shocking, incredible truth that Christ is risen. Is this claim ludicrous to the rest of the world? Yes. Of course it is. Yes. Everyone knows the dead don't rise. Everyone knows this. Yes, even first century Jews and Gentiles, before the scientific revolution, even they knew that dead people don't rise. And yet that's precisely what hundreds of them and eventually thousands of them proclaimed. And that's precisely what the Christian church has proclaimed for 2,000 years. But what about us? Are we, in our own day, in the face of so much evidence of the contrary, really supposed to believe the resurrection is real? Are we really supposed to believe that sin is overthrown, death is defeated, evil is vanquished, and God is making all things new? Yes. Yes, we are. In fact, not only are we meant to believe it and proclaim it, but we're meant to build our entire lives upon it. Because Christ's resurrection is not an additional add-on to Christian faith. It is the very heart of our faith. In times like this, especially in times like this, it is truly our only hope. It's our only hope. As a church, our common confession is, to put it very simply, Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord. He's alive and he is Lord. This confession unites us. Even after a year and a half apart, zooming from our homes, this confession unites us. It's what's brought us together tonight. And most importantly, perhaps, this confession gives us a new way of life. We no longer live as those who are perishing. We live as those... For whom to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, certainly, our era has unique challenges, but the church has always experienced, always experienced the tension between the already of the kingdom and the not yet of the kingdom. Christ's resurrection means that God has begun to make all things new, death is defeated, and everything sad is coming untrue, as Sally Lloyd Jones says. We will one day be raised, just as he has. And yet, we are still awaiting that final consummation. New creation has begun, but it's begun within the shell of the old creation. And so both realities now exist side by side. Opposing kingdoms have been allowed to continue, and they are waging an unrelenting war on God's kingdom and God's people. Darkness and light Mix the wheat and the tares grow up together, even in the church. We know that one day there will be no more weeping, there'll be no more loneliness, no more fear, there'll be no more sickness, degradation, or death, but for now, we wait. We watch, we pray, and we persevere. But, and this is very important, even in the waiting, even in the already and not yet tension, the resurrection still changes everything. And the change is most fully visible when the church demonstrates the new life that Christ's resurrection has provided. So let me give you one example. This is something that Father Aaron Harrison helped me to see this week. When we trust that the resurrection is real, not just Jesus' resurrection, but our own, then we do not have to lead like the world leads. Resurrection leadership looks, feels, and produces fruit that is distinctly different from death-dealing leadership of this present evil age. Death-dealing leadership is power-seeking and power-protecting. Death-dealing leadership deploys charisma, manipulation, and control to accomplish its goals. Death-dealing leadership prioritizes the wealthy, the charismatic, and the influential over the poor, the meek, and the marginalized. Death-dealing leadership is, as Dr. King said, focused on the preservation of the status quo at all costs. Resurrection leadership, though, prioritizes truth-telling. Resurrection leadership desires the light of judgment Because we know that God's purifying fire is for our good. Resurrection leadership knows that, as John Webster says, the church is holy only as it is exposed to judgment. Repentance is what makes our holiness visible, not the assumption of moral superiority. Resurrection leadership is humble, compassionate, ready to repent, eager to make restitution. Resurrection leadership knows the church is not the kingdom of God. And because we're awaiting the final consummation, the status quo is a mixed bag. And the way things are is not the way things have to be. Resurrection leadership is always looking forward, trusting that God is bringing all things into subjection to Christ and knows that it begins with me. In light of all this, and in light of the challenge of this moment, here's my question for us tonight. For those gathered here and those who are watching at home, just think with me for a moment. What if we cultivated the kinds of churches where our way of life is so peculiar that when people ask us to prove the resurrection, we could just point to the church? What if we became the kind of people so marked by goodness and justice and mercy that no further proof of the resurrection is needed? What if instead of the martyrs of history We could point to our living, breathing, present day communities and say, look at the goodness of this place. Look at the compassion, the equity, the love. Look at the reconciled peoples from all nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. What else could we possibly say to explain this reality except that Jesus is alive? Maybe that seems impossible to you. Maybe it seems too far fetched. And I hear you. It's really hard to believe sometimes. But I have to tell you, through it all, including the sorrow and rage over the past two weeks, I am convinced that Jesus walked out of that tomb. I'm convinced that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is Lord. I'm convinced sin, evil, and death have been disarmed and overthrown. And this means I'm convinced that the limits on what's possible have been obliterated in Christ. The way things are is not the way things have to be. Mm -hmm. Jesus is alive. Death has died. Mm -hmm. Our duty now is to bear faithful witness to that reality. God, who is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine, God will handle the outcomes. God can do it. Do we want him to? Will we let him? 1 Corinthians 15 ends with this very timely exhortation. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. (laughs) That is the ultimate promise embedded in our confession that Jesus is alive. Our labor is not in vain. Because he's alive, our labor is not in vain. So please keep watching Keep praying, keep waiting, keep worshiping. Maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe doubt is creeping in. The rest of us will believe for you tonight. The rest of us will carry you tonight. And the risen Jesus will meet you at this table. He will. He will meet you at this table he is alive and he is Lord so we can keep hoping and keep working and keep doing good in the Lord our labor is not in vain thanks be to God